Everybody has a story. We all have a story. And, and sometimes we want the perfect life and we try to have that perfect relationship, the perfect marriage, the perfect family. But we live in an imperfect world with imperfect people. And sometimes we make mistakes. But even through all of that, God finds a way through. Our lives are not going to be smooth sailing all the time. Sometimes we'll have dark moments. But that's when Jesus shows up. That's why it's incredibly important to put Jesus first. That's why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate when the Savior came into this world. We celebrate that Jesus came at a time where we needed a Savior. God doesn't just want us to unwrap gifts this Christmas. He wants us to unwrap the greatest gift, and that's Jesus Christ. And if you have never gotten to know Jesus Christ, you've never built a relationship with Him, that's probably the best gift that you will ever open up, is the gift that God gives to all of us in Jesus Christ. And so everything we do is to present the gospel in such a way that you understand that there is a free gift found in Jesus Christ. It's more than a, a so-called religious belief, because it's not religion, it's a relationship. And as we build this relationship with Him, then He helps us through even our darkest moments, our weaknesses. And because we all have weaknesses, we all have weaknesses, we all have strengths. Uh, some of us, our weakness is food. Whenever we have food around, we eat the thing. Some of us can eat food, and then when we're done, somebody brings over food and we can still eat. Like we, we become full, but then when there's food, so for some reason we find room. And so food is a weakness for us. For some of us, dessert is a weakness. We are okay with food. We can eat the salads. We can eat, you know, the, the, a small portion. But when there's dessert, that's our weakness. Some of you, ice cream is your weakness. And I don't know how some of you can eat one scoop of ice cream. I didn't even know how that's possible. You, just, you go to a restaurant and they'll say, oh, I, I'll take ice cream. I just want one scoop. One scoop of ice cream. That's hard to do. Some of you eat the whole half gallon. You can sit there and eat the entire thing. If not for self-control, we would eat the whole thing. Some of us don't have self-control. And, and here's the deal. Are we not getting lesser and lesser with the half gallon? It's not half gallon anymore. It's like six-eighths or seven-eighths or three-fourths because that's six-eighths, right? All the math mathematicians, I don't know. But it's becoming lesser and lesser. But that's our weakness. Our weakness is dessert. For some of you, hot apple pie with a scoop of ice cream, that's your weakness. Or banana fudge sundae is your weakness. Or banana cream pie. Or a chocolate mousse. Or creme brulee, or whatever they call that other fancy one. That's your weakness. Some of you are drooling right now because you're weak and you want to eat right now. We all have weaknesses. That's like your kryptonite. Some of you, your dessert, your kryptonite is chocolate. You eat chocolate for days, and you try to hide it from your spouse. You put it in, you know, under the magazine. You put it in the refrigerator. You hide it behind the milk by the baking soda so nobody knows. Nobody touches the baking soda. You put it in the baking soda box. And so we, 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 we know our weaknesses. But that's why Christ came, because not only do we have physical weaknesses, but we have spiritual weaknesses. We're weak on the inside. We can't do the things we want to do because we have this sinful nature. But God came to give us a Savior so that we, in our weaknesses, can be strong in Him. We all have weaknesses. We have fears. Many of us have fears. We're, we're afraid of the dark or we're afraid of certain things happening. We're afraid of when our children go off to college, what's going to happen? So we have these fears. 
And you know when there's fear, if you have fear, because when there's fearful moments, you become more on edge. Like a couple of weeks ago, remember the two fugitives that escaped? And everybody's like, where are they going? They're on an island. How are they going? Where are they going? Where are they going? Well, they went Kona, Puna, Kona, Puna. So that's that. And everybody was on edge. And even the, the, the authorities got phone calls. Hey, I see them. I see them. I see them. Where are they? Oh, they Hawaiian beaches. All the authorities. Oh, that's not them. Okay. Another tip. Oh, they stay Kona. Huh? Kona. Oh, two and a half hours. But they can go there in half an hour because they get siren. So they go to Kona. That's not them. They got tips. I see two guys walking down the street. That's them. That's auntie and uncle walking down the street. So everybody's on edge. They lock their doors when they never did. They hear the dogs barking. Turn off the lights. Turn off the lights. Go get, go get, the, go get one knife. Go get one spatula. Go get my bat. Get my golf clubs. Like everybody was on edge. And then when they found the first guy, yeah, hey, get one more guy though. Yeah, one more guy. We go all pool together. We go find this last guy. Everybody was on edge. Everybody becomes fearful. It's like we live in fear and it's inside of us. I think it was because when we were born, fear was put inside of us from at an early age. And as human beings, we can only do so much. We only have so much control. Even in our world, our, our, our world tries to take Christ out of this season. Isn't it interesting that, that the, the world is saying, well, we don't want to say Merry Christmas because, you know, it's offending. It's offensive because it's Christ's birthday. We're celebrating his birthday. I say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And so what they tried to do is they said, okay, let's take Christ out of Christmas. Let's just put the X, which is the Greek symbol for Christ. So he was still there. You can try to take Christ out of Christmas, but you can't kill his spirit. He's alive and well. But they tried. Let's put Xmas. So everybody put that. And then the Christians would say, hey, 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 don't put Xmas because it's Christ. So put Christ back in Christmas. So there's this battle, but Christ still reigns. We still celebrate his birthday. People will tell me, season's greetings. I'm like, no, it's Merry Christmas. It's Christ's birthday. So even with season's greetings, oh, season's greetings. What does that mean? We don't say that any other season, not during summer, winter, or summer, winter. We don't say it at all, any other time of year. This one is the best. Remember years ago, they said, let's just say happy holidays. Happy holidays. Like there's other happy holidays in December. What other happy holiday is there? We celebrate a holy day, and it's Christ's birthday. But I figure, okay, maybe it's true. Maybe there's other happy holidays. So I looked it up on the internet because the internet is true. <laughs> and so I looked up, there's, there's over 50 holidays. There's 57 holidays in December. 57 holidays. I could not name all of them because there's too much, but I'll, I'll, I'll name a few. On December 2nd, it's National Fritters Day. Really? National Fritters Day. I don't even know what a fritter is. I thought they were animals, but maybe that's critters. So, and then December 6th is Put On Your Own Shoes Day. Put On Your Own Shoes Day. Like, hey, honey, put on my shoes. Not today. Today is Put On Your Own Shoes Day. I ain't putting on your shoes. So you figure that, man, maybe that's the happy holiday. But no, this one, maybe this one is the happy holiday. December 13th is National Ice Cream Day. <laughs> National Ice Cream Day. If you didn't know it, you better put that on your calendar. 
December 13th, National Ice Cream Day. I figure maybe that would be the happy holiday, but it's not. This one might be. December 16th, National Chocolate-Covered Anything Day. (laughs) Maybe that would be the happy holiday. It's the National Chocolate-Covered Anything Day. You put December 13th and December 16th, you have maybe a happy holiday with ice cream and chocolate. Maybe. But we don't celebrate those as happy holiday. We celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ. He's what makes this holidays happy. He's what makes it merry. It's his spirit. You can't take Christ out of Christmas. It's like trying to take seven out of 11, Jack out of in the box, or Mick out of Donald's. It's not going to work. What are you going to eat? Donald's. (laughs) It just doesn't work. You can't take Christ out of Christmas. It's his birthday. We celebrate his birthday. That's why, that's why it's so merry. Now, I know there may be some that this may be a, a tough season. And because of a loss of a loved one or, or some things you're going through, it may not be as merry. But at the same time, we have a Savior who came to bring peace. I want to give you a little bit of the history And then I'll read from the book of Matthew chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to be ready. Matthew chapter 1. But Mary and Joseph have been given an assignment. And Jesus is being born. And and here are some wise men and they see the star. And they go search for the Savior. They look for this Messiah, the chosen one. Herod, who was the king at that time, he heard that there's another king being born. And he's thinking, oh, the king... Another king has been born, so this king is going to take me over. He's going to take me out. By the time he figures this thing out, that it's a baby, he figures, what is a baby going to do? A baby's not going to take me over. But it wasn't the kind of kingdom Christ came to bring. It wasn't an earthly kingdom. But Herod, just wanting to make sure, he said, you know what? All the babies, now listen to this, all the babies, two years old, and under the male-borns, all those who are male, he said, kill them all. Two years old and under. Now, we'll read that and we'll talk about it. And there's, it's not as heart-wrenching when we read it than if it was in real life. For instance, with what happened in Connecticut with six- and seven-year-olds. Does that not just rip your heart out? Herod killed two-year-olds. Every male two-year-old in Bethlehem and the surrounding district in Bethlehem. Two-year-olds. And so he tries to do that, but Mary and Joseph receive the word from the Lord, and they flee to Egypt. And in Matthew chapter 1, I'll read from verses 18 through 25. And in your notes, there's that scripture, but it says it like this, in Matthew 1.18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. Let's stop there. What the Bible is saying is, this is how it happened. This is the true, accurate history of how Jesus came into this world. The birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. There's many books that have been written. There's many scholars and theologians that have said, no, this is what what Jesus is. This is what happened. This is who he is. He's not the son of God. This is who Christ is. He's a great teacher. He's a great theologian, but he's not the son of God. That's not how he was born. He got married. He ran off with this other person. And no, this is how he was born. It took place in this way. 
And the Bible clearly states it. So it wants to be accurate and crystal clear for us that this is how Jesus was born. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now that word betrothed, for many of us, it's foreign. We're thinking, was she married? Was she not married? Was she engaged? Was she what? Betrothed is actually, in our culture, between engagement and marriage. Betrothal had two things connected to it. It was covenant and consummation. Covenant saying, we're going to get married. It was a legal binding uh, to say that we're going to get married. So it was a little stronger than just engagement. But it was not as fulfilling as a marriage. So they had a covenant together, but they had not yet consummated their marriage. And so then Joseph... Her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So in other words, what Joseph was saying is, wait a minute. So are you saying that we have this covenant? We're betrothed to be married? We have not slept together yet? And now you're with a child. But being a just man, he wanted to secretly divorce her. Joseph would have been divorced before he was actually married. And so Joseph is trying to think of how can I do my very best to not publicly shame her? Because Mary, Mary was one of the greatest godly women of her day. That's why she was chosen. She was favored by God. And so Joseph is saying, how am I going to do this? Because Joseph is a just man. They grew up in the same neighborhood. And so he could see her growing up. He could see that if, if anyone, I'm saving my life and myself for my marriage, and Mary is the one. Now, being a young woman, and it, it, it could be that Mary could have been as young as 12 years old. And maybe as old as maybe her early 20s. So within that bracket, maybe a teenager around that age. And we may look at it and say, 12? That's kind of young, huh? Well, we may think of it as she's not ready, she's too young. And what I'm about to say, I'm not saying it to offend anyone, but if you get offended, then that's between you and the Lord. So this is just me presenting this to you as a thought. It may not be that it's such a weird idea that Mary was so young to be the mother of Jesus Christ and us thinking that she may be irresponsible that early in life, it just may be we in our culture today are very immature at our age. And Joseph, being a just man, didn't want to ruin her reputation because she was a godly woman. She didn't use her single life and maybe I may speak to the single people tonight, uh, today, that she didn't use her single life to party out and say, well, when I get married, then I'll slow down. That may not even happen because you're doing this with your single life. You know what Mary did with her single life? She put Jesus first. She put God first. And she said to her Lord, Instead of you telling me my future and me trying to adapt to that, I'm going to put my faith in you. You take care of my future. And God brings into her life a just man. I think that speaks to all of us as men. May we be just men according to the will of God. 
That we would be men that, that, that God sees us worthy of, of, of following his direction. That we would be the men of God that he created us to be. That we would look to him and put him first in everything that we do to be just in everything that we do. Joseph is the kind of guy that you would want your daughter to marry. That's the kind of guy he was. Mary is the kind of girl you would want your, your daughter to be or your son to marry. That, that's, that's, how, that's what happens when we put Jesus first, when we put the Lord first. He, he does that for us. And here they are faced with some critical decisions. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, why is it important to put Jesus first? What's, what's, so, uh, what's, what's, what's the big idea about that? Why can't I just live my life and then once in a while come to church and once in a while pray to God and once in a while read the Bible? Why can't I just do that? Well, whatever you put first will be evident in your life. Whatever you put first. If you're a mechanic and you put, you know, fixing things first, it'll be evident It'll be evident in your hands. You'll have oil in your hands and your fingernails and you'll have it in the cracks and crevices of your hands. It's evident that you're a mechanic. If you love golf, it'll be evident because you have golf clubs in your trunk all the time, just in case you have free time. You have, it's evident. If you love art, you have the supplies. It's evident that you're an artist. If you love to bake, it's evident. You have ingredients. You have baking utensils. If you're a cook, it's evident you have all the supplies. If you love fashion and you love shoes, it is evident in your closet. It's evident. Whatever we put first, whatever is most important to us will be evident. But if Jesus is first, then it'll be evident. There will be things that show us that he's first place in our life. See, our culture, our culture forms us to be as immature as possible, as long as possible. That's what our culture does. Mary and Joseph teaches us that we can grow up quicker. Joseph, being a young man, was a grown man. That he had his job in line, he moved out of his parents' house, and he said, I'm going to take care of this person, my wife. He was a young man, but he was a grown man. Many of us, we're of age, but we're still young men. And we're still working out the immaturities. And God says, I, I can help you with that. But you got to put me first. You got to put me in your life in such a way that I help you. 
In other words, you can write this in, the, in your first point. When Jesus is first place, I follow his lead. That's what they did. They put him first, so they followed his lead. Even when they had that struggle with, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? They said, wait, this is, what, this is what the angel of the Lord said. This is the voice of God. This is what he told us. We're going to do it his way. And so they followed his lead. You see, we're not used to putting others first. We're used to us first. From when we were babies, it's me. It's all about us. That's my blanket. That's, that's my toy. That's, that's, babies are at this place. That's my iPad. They're still babies. But it's, it's all about me, mine. And then when they have to share, they throw a fit. They do certain cries because it's about me. And that works when they're babies, but we got to grow up out of that. They'll cry for their bottle. And, and if you know your babies well, when they cry, there's a certain sound that you, you help them. Sometimes we're getting used to, or, or maybe someone watches them for a while, or, or maybe we're not, at, as, we're not at home as much as we would like to be at home. So we don't know the certain cries of the baby. And, and maybe your spouse is saying, he's hungry, she's hungry. No, 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 no she's tired. It's, no, I know the baby's cry. Sometimes they're crying and crying and crying. You're trying to figure it out. They say, somebody, change my diaper, please. And not until we get to know their cry, not until we get to know what they're trying to say, that we begin to understand that as babies, they're saying, it's me. You got to help me. But we, we grow out of that, and we should. And when we put Jesus first, now we're saying it's not about me. It's about what you see, what is best for me. I follow your lead. I don't tell you to follow my lead. I follow you. We're not used to that. We're at the Prince Guyo Plaza, and we're, we're just about to walk in through the glass doors. And I had two friends with me. So as we're walking in, we see this group of ladies, these elderly ladies coming through. There's about maybe six of them just coming through. So two of us, we opened the doors for them. My third friend was like, oh, hey, thanks, and walks right in. And he's like weaving through the ladies like, oh, oh, excuse me. And he looks at us like, well, how's these ladies? Just walk through. And I was thinking that he was not used to having others first. We're not used to that for many of us. For many of us, it's, it's about us. But when, but when he's first, I follow his lead. I don't run ahead of him. And when I don't follow Jesus, I, I will find myself trying to weave my way through life, hoping that everything turns out okay and, and unsure of where I'm heading. Look at what Mary said in Luke 1.38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Yeah, Mary made the decision that I'm not going to tell you to follow me. I'm going to follow your lead. Let it be done according to your word, not what I want, but what you want. And she followed his lead. Even as a single person, she followed his lead. Joseph followed his lead, being a just man. If, there's, if we know nothing else about Joseph, which we really don't know too much about Joseph, if all we know about Joseph is that he was a just man... That's all we need to know about the life of Joseph. May we be just men. They had to switch around their schedules, knowing that, okay, this, this baby came a lot sooner than we planned. Think about that. That their plan was, okay, here's our plan. And some of us plan like this. 
we're going to be engaged. Then on this date, we'll get married. And then by then, this date, we'll have a child. That was their plan. But that wasn't God's plan. They had their child way before. And so you know what they had to do? They had to change their priorities all over again. See, when Jesus is first, and you can write this in number two, then he becomes a priority. He becomes a priority, and we readjust our plans to his. We adjust. We don't say, oh, man, this happened, so now oh, life is over. Oh, this happened, and oh, man, I guess, guess we just got to deal with it. Or, oh, we planned this, but this didn't happen, so I don't know. I don't know. What are we going to do? Stop from scratch. And it's like, no, no, no. You put Jesus first. And he says, no, here's your priorities. So here's, here's what we're used to. That's what we do. We put me first. And many of us, when we came to know Christ and he became first, then we understood what it meant to have God first. And when, sorry, I just got to turn this a little bit. When God is first, then all, I prior, all of our priorities should change. Not struggle with it. It should change. The only struggle we'll have is figuring out how to reprioritize. But the choice to reprioritize, it shouldn't be an option. When Jesus is first, I need to prioritize. Because now he's first place in my life. Now it's no longer about me. It's about him. And because it's about him, he helps me to prioritize. And so the Bible says, okay, God should be first. And then if you're married, it's your spouse. Or if you're single, then it's your relationship. With God. You're thinking, oh, my relationship with my girlfriend, my boyfriend. No, it's your relationship with God. You cannot be the person you're supposed to be as a married man, as a married wife, or as a single person dating unless God is first. Just not going to happen. You're trying to help and make the other person better? Then put God first in your life. Stop trying to change them. If you're having a difficult time changing yourself and putting God first, imagine trying to change someone else who's probably trying to change you too. So you both are trying to change each other and God's saying, wait, wait, I'm trying to do the same thing. How about you put me first and I'll do a better job than what you can do for each other. So we put God first and then, of course, our, our spouse and then it'll be our children if you have children. And our children are on that. They should be a priority. And now we're looking at this, we're thinking, I don't know how I can spend time with my spouse or my children. There's just no time because I have a job. Some of you are saying, I don't have one right now. I'm looking. God will provide. Trust in Him. You keep praying. Ask. Search. And He said, you'll receive. And then, I mean, we should enjoy life, right? So we need some kind of activity. Whether it be a hobby or something that you're passionate about. But as you can see, it, it's God first. Then our spouse. Then our children. Our job is like fourth. Now, some of us, realistically, we're saying, wait a minute, I can't do that. How am I going to do it this way? Because I need to provide for the family. We need to pay bills. Absolutely. And most of us will categorize this in time, in slots, and saying, okay, if I put God first, that means i got to come to church. i got to read the Bible. 
Oh, I got to come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I don't have time for that much time with God. What about with my spouse? I can't have date night every night. What about my children in school or, or I'm at work? How do I do that? You don't slot this in time. That's not what it is. Again, everything is relational. When you put God first, then everything else doesn't fall into place. But he gives us the wisdom to line everything else up. So while I'm with my spouse, I'm putting God first. I'm thinking of them first. I'm thinking, how can I serve them? How can I help them to be better? What do I need to change so that God can be first in our relationship? What do I need to do better with my children? Because I'm putting God first in the lives of my children. How can I find more time with them and make more time? How can I, how can I do a better job with where I work? Rather than clocking in, complaining all day, wanting to go home. And then thankful for the paycheck. But if I go into my job and say, Lord, I'm working not for the boss or the company. I'm working for you. I'm doing my best for you through my boss, through the company. I tell you, when you work as if working for the Lord, then your boss will see that. They'll notice it. And you're not doing it. They're not going to look at you and say, oh, this person is such a kiss up. You know, they'll look at it as, wow, this person works diligently, faithfully. They're not gossiping all the time. Because that will eat you up at work every day. Imagine going to work. I mean, I don't think any of you do this, but imagine every day gossiping at work. That's all you do. Like a coworker comes by, hi, how you doing? Oh, so good to see you. Oh, you looking hot. Hey, last night's crew was the best. All right, I see you guys later. Huh? Hey, that lady lazy. You know her. She only do this, only talk, talk, talk all day on her cell phone, texting, texting, texting. And then we just talk about everybody else. What kind of job is that? And God is looking down. He's saying, you're not putting me first in your job. He says, you put me first in all these areas, then I'll make it work out. I will do that. And when Jesus was born, they put him first. They reprioritized and they said, we got to put you first. We need to do this. And this is what they did in Luke 2.22. He says, then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. They, they put him first. They said, okay, we need to do what, we're, what is required of us because this is putting God first. It's the way of God. We're going to do it his way. We're not going to do it our way. We're going to do it according to the way God made everything. See, when Jesus is first, isn't it true many things changed for us? When we first came to know Jesus Christ, everything changed. We reprioritized everything. For many of us, Saturday night was our so-called late night out. But then church became a priority. So we said, oh, I cannot stay out late Wednesday night, uh, Saturday night because I have to get up early for Sunday morning. So we make the sacrifice on Saturday night. Your children have to get up early in the morning. They got to sacrifice and so you drag them to church. I see them coming in, walking. <laughs> Some of them have to push the stroller and you just... Oh, they're dragging their sibling. Come on, let's go to church. We're going to learn about Jesus and love. And so they just, they're dragging into church. But we reprioritize our life according to the ways of God. And we do our very best to raise our children up in the ways of the Lord. We reprioritize. And when Jesus is first, we reprioritize. 
I know for many of you football fans, hard be in church today. There's very important games right now. Some of you checking scores right now. Allah, God sees. <laughs> There's always going to be something that tries to weave its way into this priority and in this alignment. There's always going to be something. Always. God says, and, and it's, in, it's in Matthew 6.33, and it's in your notes. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and... His righteousness, not ours. And what will be added unto us? All these things will be added unto us. All of these things. But we must seek first His kingdom. It's Him first. We're not used to that. We may not have grown up in that way, but He has a promise. And when Jesus is first, He becomes a priority. And when He does, you watch how, how everything else begins to make sense. And, and begin to not line up perfectly but, but be intentionally satisfying. You'd be satisfied with life. For some of us, we'll look at this and we'll say, boy, we're, this is way out of priority. It's, it's all out of order. And, and so right now, my, my life is not the best place that I want it to be. Um, we, we just went through a, a traumatic situation or we're going through one. So it's tough to have this in order. It's, it's almost like we're, we're living in a, a tough season or... Or like how when Jesus came, it was a dark time. But here's the good news. Jesus was born in the dark. He was born at night. It's kind of like God was letting us know that when Jesus is first, and you can write this in your last point, I no longer live in darkness. I no longer live in darkness. There's, there's a light that Jesus brings to our lives. And at your darkest moment, Jesus shows up. He was born at night. He was born in a dark world, in a dark stable. And he reminds us, I, I, in your darkest moment, I'm going to shine. In Luke 1, excuse me, 2.12, it says, And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. You see, in our, our darkest moments, that's when Christ shines. And the Bible says you will recognize him, you will find him. Can I say this? In your darkest moment, in your darkest moment, don't look for a way out. Look for Jesus and let him find the way out. In your darkest moment, don't try to swindle your way out or, or figure a way out. Look for Jesus because he'll find the way out. That's why he came. He came in a darkened world. Many of us, we, we, I think we're born with, with that fear of what's going to happen rather than what is happening. And so we live in such fear that we're paralyzed to what's taking place right now. And maybe it's from when we were, you know, little babies. You know, if you're sitting on the couch and maybe your mom or dad and, and they're sitting there and, and they want you within, you know, arm distance to grab you if you're, you know, misbehaving. That once you start venturing into the dark, they'll say this, Hey, 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 don't go in the dark. Spooky over there. Get the ghost. Watch out the man. Gonna grab you. And then if they don't listen, you go behind them. Watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. Oh, and you scare them. And I think from an early age, we become afraid of the dark. Until they learn how to turn on the light. Oh. And now they're no longer afraid of the dark. Now watch what happens. If we're born with this fear inside of us, with physical darkness, 
Imagine what happens with us when we're born in a world with spiritual darkness. Imagine the the darkness we sense when things don't work out according to what we planned or what we want it to be. When our family structure is not how we want it to be. When when uh, when when a loved one is not is not healthy. When or when we lose a loved one, and we, we go through a dark season, a dark moment. Or maybe we stray from God, or we don't we don't have a relationship with God, and and those dark moments. Imagine those spiritual dark moments. What that feels like. And if you're going through that right now, the good news is that's why Jesus came. In the darkest moments of our lives, He shows up to shine His light. And even though we may joke around with scaring people in the dark and and things like that, Jesus shows up in those dark, scary moments. This is the words of Jesus Christ. And He says this in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. All of us want to live a great life. All of us. But we can't unless we have the light that leads to life. That's why we celebrate Christmas. There is a blessing in Jesus' first. You won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. But only, only if you put Jesus first. I say let's make that commitment starting this Christmas today that we would begin to put Jesus first. Amen. And put away your notes and your Bibles. I want to read this to us as I conclude. Max Lucado is a, a great author and, and um, he's a poet. And he wrote this poem shortly after the incident with the children in Connecticut. And when I read this poem, I thought, boy, this, this kind of parallels to what Herod did to the male two-year-olds and younger. And even in that dark time when Jesus was there, now remember, when Jesus was born, that's when Herod went on this killing spree. So Jesus, in that dark moment, still they still were dealing with this, this mass murders that took place. So it's not like one day these killings took place and then the next day they're all great. Yeah, we'll read through the Scripture But to live in the moment, we know what kind of, we know kind of what that feels like. But these are with two-year-olds. And in our day today, six and seven-year-olds. And this is, this is what he writes. He says, Dear Jesus, it's a good thing that you were born at night. This world sure seems dark. I have a good eye for silver linings, but they seem dimmer lately. These killings, Lord, these children, Lord, innocence violated, raw evil demonstrated. The whole world seems on edge, trigger happy, ticked off. We hear threats of chemical weapons and nuclear bombs. Are we one button push away from annihilation? 
Your world seems a bit darker this Christmas. But you were born in the dark, right? You came at night. The shepherds were night shift workers. The wise men followed a star. Your first cries were heard in the shadows. To see your face, Mary and Joseph needed a candle flame. It was dark. Dark with Herod's jealousy. Dark with Roman oppression. Dark with poverty. Dark with violence. Herod went on a rampage, killing babies. Joseph took you and your mom into Egypt. You were an immigrant before you were a Nazarene. Oh, Lord Jesus, you entered the dark world of your day. Would you enter ours? We are weary of bloodshed. We, like the wise men, are looking for a star. We, like the shepherds, are kneeling at the manger. This Christmas, we ask you to heal us, help us, and be born anew in us. I think we all have that cry for Christ, not just to be born into this world, and we celebrate his birth, but that he would be born anew in this in our hearts. And I tell you something, when Jesus is first, you will see your whole world open up to a a brand new possibility. But it starts with putting him first. Let's make that our prayer this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a Savior that we've all grown up differently And when we put aside our differences, our our ethnicities, our backgrounds, our status, our possessions, prestige, our positions, reputation, our religion, we put all that on the side. We are all people. We are all people whom you came to bring peace and hope to because you love us. I know there's some of us this morning that, that has never understood how valuable you are to God. That you would be given an opportunity to have a Savior. To have someone come into your life and, and free you from the sins of your past and to cleanse you and wash you and make you clean and to strengthen you in your weaknesses. But that's why Jesus came. But not only did he live a life here on this earth, but he also died for you and I, for our sins, so that we could have eternity with God in a place called heaven. You may have never said yes to Jesus Christ. You may have never given your life to him, but right now is your opportunity. And if you've never given Jesus your heart, I want us to take a moment to pray. In fact, you may have said this prayer many times or maybe you're a Christian and and maybe you're saying boy I I just need to recalibrate my heart and I want to get back on track that you're saying I I want to do better in fact let's all say this prayer together especially for those who are receiving Jesus for the first time and here's the prayer Heavenly Father thank you for Jesus Forgive me of my sins. 
and wash me clean. Make me brand new. I want to be the person that you created me to be. I believe in you, that you died on the cross and you rose again to give me eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you just said that prayer for the very first time, I want to pray with you. Could you just lift a hand real briefly? And I want to pray over you. If you just said yes to Jesus for the first time, good. God bless you. God bless you. God sees your hand. Anybody else? You said yes to Jesus. Good. God bless you. Right there. Back there. God bless you. God sees your hand. Good. Good. God sees your hands. Good. Back there. God bless you. Back there. God bless you. God sees your hands. You can put your hands down. Back there. I saw you. Back there. Back there. Good. You may be a Christian and you're saying, I need to put Jesus first. I try, but he just spoke to me today for me to do some things differently. And I'm going to obey him. And if you want that and you're saying, I want to do better by putting Jesus first, would you lift your hand? And in doing so, you're saying, that's me. Good. Yes. A lot of us, Lord. I raise my hand, Lord. I want to put you first in everything I do. You put your hands down. Lord, that's our prayer today. That we would be people who put you first. And as we seek you, everything else would be added unto us. But it won't be because of us. It'll be because of you. Because you show up in our darkest moments. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Amen.